This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time, but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Hello, hello, family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Hero Academy. This week, I have Doug Newman, chief of a police department, which, which we won't name. We don't need to unless you want to. Um, I'll let you take it away and introduce yourself. Go ahead, Chief. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Super Dave. Uh, you can mention my police department. I'm here in an official capacity. So uh, my name is Doug, and I'm the chief of police uh, for the city of DuPont. And we are located uh, off the I-5 corridor in Washington State, about 15 minutes south of Tacoma and 15 minutes north of our state capital uh, in Olympia. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with uh, the military, uh, best way to locate us is we are located right outside the gates of one of the largest military installations in the country, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Okay, I've heard of that base before. Um, they have a lot of special forces training there too, right? It is home to uh, America's Corps, I-Corps, First Corps, and uh, First Special Forces Group, Second Ranger Battalion, Striker Brigade, and you know various other units air wing for the air force it's a uh, high tempo large truly the home of uh, american heroes and american war fighters it's our privilege to serve the, them and their families that's pretty cool um is it a very mountainous area where you are is that where they train like in the mountains no not really i mean because we're we're actually pretty close to the puget sound a uh, an ocean inlet saltwater inlet but where you know i'm i'm originally from arizona um, and from Southern Arizona. So we had mountains, but anywhere you are in Western Washington, you can pretty much see Mount Rainier, largest peak, I believe in the, in the United States. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's not mountainous, but you see this enormous, it's on our license plate in our state. So you see this huge, beautiful snow-capped mountain. So I guess that depends your definition of mountains, but we have the Olympic mountain range and the Cascade mountain range. And it's absolutely beautiful up here. Oh, that's pretty cool. I definitely want to visit. I've been to Seattle when I was 15 years old. Um, the airport PD took a four finger gold ring from me. I'll never forget it because I paid for it myself. 
And they like they said, uh, oh, that could be considered a weapon, so we can't let you fly with it. And that was before 9-11. Oh, okay, good. Because that because ironically, that used to be my agency. So I wasn't there then, and uh I have I can't confirm or deny we've ever seized anything that looks uh suspicious in nature. So <laughs> small world. Um, how many years do you have all together at PD now? Just just shy of 20 uh 30. I'm on my 27th, I think. Uh, started my career in my hometown is Tucson, Arizona. Grew up about 30, 40 miles from the Mexican border. My first agency was the Pima County Sheriff's Office, which is White Earps Department. And uh, I'm a pure desert rat. I did mow my first lawn, so I was 34 uh, years old. Spent about 10 years in southern and central Arizona, south Tucson police uh, predominantly. And then uh, I'm a, I'm a military reservist. In 2005, I was mobilized and went to Fallujah with the uh, second um, Marine Expeditionary Force, the Navy Seabees. And I sent my wife an email and I said, hey, between the desert, between Tucson and Fallujah, I never want to see the uh, expletive <laughs> desert again as long as I live. And, you know, the Pacific Northwest is just absolutely beautiful. And uh, she was offered a job transfer with her job. And I put in for you know, as a lateral, as a straight officer, that was 2006, was hired at the Port of Seattle Police Department, spent about 13 years there as an officer, a sergeant, and a commander, and uh, then was appointed police chief here in DuPont, and it's uh, been here for four and a half years, and uh, it's been the privilege of my career. I work with great people. It combines the two things that are most important to me, military, serving a military community, and you know, serving cops, serving law enforcement officers, and that includes our civilians and our volunteers. And uh, I'm blessed. I'm truly blessed. So I've been here about so four. You've worked for three different agencies, I heard, or was that four? I've worked for four different agencies. Yeah. Four different agencies. Which one was the biggest? Pima County, Pima County Sheriff's Office. So Pima County is the county that Tucson's in, and it actually, I think there's a there's over 300 miles of Mexican border in Pima County. I want to say square mileage wise, it's either the 10th or 11th largest county in the nation. Uh, they service population of about 1.1 million now. Oh, wow. uh, when I was there, it was an agency of, I think, between 1,300 and 1,500 employees. Yeah, that's a big department. Yeah, we had a big jail. I started in the jail, worked in the jail for a couple of years and then became a road deputy. And uh, yeah, so Pima County was my largest department in DuPont PD. The department I'm with now is my smallest department. So I've, and then the agency I spent most of my time with the Port of Seattle Police as a mid sized department. Right now they're hovering around 150 total employees, um, but they have a very unique mission. I don't need to tell you because of the part of the country you're in with the New York, New Jersey Port Authority, uh, very similar type of policing there. So I've been really fortunate. I've been blessed to kind of have perspective of working smaller communities and, and, and larger metropolitan areas. So for someone that's brand new thinking about getting on the job, what kind of advice would you give them? Because I'll tell you, my advice is always to look around and make a list of inventory. What's what departments are around you and decide, like, don't just throw a dart and or choose the county you live in, because there's so many different types of jobs in law enforcement that are just in your surrounding area. Yeah, well, you know, and you and I, you know, First of all, I'm I'm so thankful that you allow me the opportunity to come on your podcast and talk to first responders, nurses, firefighters, police officers, military personnel. We're all the same family. And so thank you for that. And because of that, you know, you and I have had an opportunity to speak before this interview. 
And it's funny, you know, you and I kind of talked about policing in the current environment. And in the past couple of years, between the pandemic and this generation's policing crisis uh, with George Floyd and before that Ferguson, and of course our generation was Rodney King and Rampart. Um, my advice, it, it really depends. And I think the best advice I would give someone who's looking into this profession is one, we are an honorable profession. Um, we're a profession of brothers and sisters. We need good people. Um, we can train someone how to do a traffic stop, how to do an investigation. We can train someone how to be a police chief. We can't train character. We can't train ethics. And unlike a bad day working at Wetzel's Pretzels or Foot Locker at the mall, um, our bad days are as bad as they get. And so you truly have to have, you know, we're not a, we're, we are a profession. We've made that jump from being a vocation to a profession, but we're really a calling. So if it's not, my first piece of advice would be, if it's not in your heart, then don't, don't do it. You've, you've got to really, you're going to have some rough days and um, the pride that you have in your badge, not to tarnish your badge is something that's going to carry you through those rough days. That's one. Two, if you've got to be flexible. And, you know, you and I had some great conversation prior to this, and you've been on the job for a long time as well. And the landscape has changed. And, you know, you know, one of the things, and I, I, I talk to community groups, I, I talk to other law enforcement agencies. And when I talk to, when I, when, I, when I speak to other agencies and other cops, aspiring supervisors and leaders, one of the things we talk about is, you know, the stereotype about law enforcement, and I can say public safety in general, is that we hate change and you know the yes. same cops cops don't uh there's two things cops hate they hate change and they hate the way the thing the way things are and i totally disagree with that um first of all i think you have to love the people that you lead i love cops and cops are some of the most flexible people in the planet they have to deal with ever-changing laws and legislation. It's different from state to state. It's different in New York where you are than it is in Washington state than it was in Arizona. They have to change with different political environments, different budgetary environments. Um, cops are the best at being flexible. What cops hate is they hate change without explanation or without communication on why the change is occurring. Cops can adapt. Public safety can adapt. They just want some explanation as to why. So you my, examples, you have any examples of that where like a change came down and there was no explanation? Yeah. So, you know, what we're seeing in Washington state right now is we're seeing sweeping police reform legislation. And honestly, it's been in the wake of Rodney King, excuse me, George Floyd, George Floyd. you know, highly publicized um, use of force incidents. And so I think that the legislate the legislators are state representatives while they mean well, because they want to they want to correct what they see as a problem in our industry, they have overcorrected and they have completely removed the ability for law enforcement officers in the state of Washington to pursue uh, with with. And there's some parameters. We have to have probable cause that a violent crime has occurred. They've changed that to a reasonable standard, uh, uh, a reasonable suspicion standard. But it's still exceptionally hard to pursue. Now, the reason I tell you that is. Most agencies already had restrictive pursuit policies. The difference is the bad guys didn't know it when we were behind them and we didn't advertise it. And here now it's, it's a statewide law. The reason I tell you that is, is as a young patrol officer working in South Tucson, if I had a supervisor told me I couldn't pursue for a stolen vehicle, 
I would be frustrated and angry. What I would need is the supervisor to say, hey, Doug, let me explain why we don't pursue strictly for property crimes. You can hurt someone in a crosswalk. You can get banged up yourself. We need. We don't want to be the subject of bad case law. We need to save those high risk, as you know, Gordon Graham says, the low frequency, high risk incidents for times when we really need it. But but we all get those memos. We all get those you know directives from on high from command staff that effective immediately there'll be no more mustaches. Yes. Right? <laughs> it was funny. I spoke to a deputy, and I won't mention the, the deputy's agency, but it's a large agency. And that deputy was written up because they had pink handcuffs. Now, the pink handcuffs were in support of, uh, I mean, there's a pink patch over my shoulder. A lot of agencies do that for, for, for cancer awareness. Um, the, 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 the message that that deputy got was it's outside of regulations, don't wear it, with no explanation. And it kind of left a sour taste in their mouth. So to answer your question, you know, one is, is to be flexible. Um, I, I tell people to be flexible, understand that the rules of the game are going to change. Um, and the advice I give aspiring leaders is make sure that you communicate clearly. Do, there's a difference between saying, hey, don't shoot the messenger. This is what the chief wants. And professionally talking about a directive that is going to be unpopular while still being supportive of your agency. Listen to the complaints of people. Um, uh, but also be there to defend your people and try to explain as a first line supervisor why there's problems with the directive. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that be flexible and have a heart for service to answer your question. You know, what, what I would tell people coming into the, in, into this uh, industry. And then lastly, you know, make sure your family's behind you. You know, we all think we know what we're going to do. We all think we know the risks of being a firefighter or a police officer or a, an ER nurse you don't really know until you get into it, the long hours, the shift work, the trauma that you bring home. Uh, we ask our police officers to um, go to infant deaths and on the same, very same shift, go to deal with a juvenile problem. And we expect them to put that infant death away and have a smile and show excellent customer service. And the community is shocked when they get a police officer that's maybe not willing to engage uh, as, as, as cheerfully as they expect. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of trauma on an officer's back. So also know what you're getting into and, and it's okay to talk about it, have resources to talk about it. Do you think there's something that we can do as, uh, supervisors, if they know that officers have responded to something traumatic that maybe they can pull them off the road for a little while and help them to decompress I know manpower is short everywhere, but yeah. Um, do you think there's some kind of policy that they can that they could do, just like on a human level? Yeah, well, you know, you're, it's a great question, and I and like every leadership answer, not that I'm an expert, I think the best answer is it depends. And I think that you know that we in the United States, there's anywhere between seven hundred and and nine hundred thousand law enforcement officers. Of that. Um, overwhelmingly half of those agencies are 50 officers or less. Yes. And I think it's actually higher. I think it's more like 75. And over those agencies, most of them are below 20 uh, officers. So when you, when you pull one person off the road, it, it's, it's a impact, it's a high impact for public safety. However, um, our industry has changed quite a bit. I know you know this. And, you know, the, the buzz term now is wellness, 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 wellness. 
And it's a great term. And I, I don't say buzz term to minimize it, but it's kind of like Band-Aid. You know, Band-Aid is a name brand or an adhesive bandage, but now we just use it to refer to all adhesive bandages. And wellness, what is wellness? It's like, what is community policing? Community policing in uh, New York City looks a lot different than it does in the city of DuPont. So wellness, it really depends. It depends. And I think that it starts with leadership, with supervisors, truly having relationships with the people that they work with. It's very challenging the larger the agency. Um, that's one. Two, having a culture where it is okay to talk about things. But I think that, you know, from a from an administrator's perspective, I think you need to, to always err on the side of caution. If you have a traumatic incident, I think critical, critical incident debriefs, formal critical incident debriefs are extraordinarily valuable. But if you're a rural agency with four cops, how are you going to get a mental health professional there to give you a legitimate de debrief? Um, there are some great resources out there. For us, we're a smaller agency. We invested in a mobile application and a mobile app that uh, our officers have access to, their spouses has a, have access to, all of our civilian employees and our retirees have access to. Um, it's very hard to, to, you know, what's the, what's, what, what do we train our, our young supervisors? We train our young supervisors when they test for sergeant, if they encounter a scenario during the test where they have an officer who's dealing with a divorce or financial issue or a, uh, uh, dealing with trauma, well, let's use EAP. The city has EAP, go to eat, you know, we have the, the employee assistance program. Look, what cop that's working a midnight shift is gonna come in on a day shift to talk to human resources. And of course it's all confidential, but you still have to reach out. There's someone you have to talk to. You and I had a great conversation about through your PBA, there's a peer support uh, program. Um, so the app was a way for us that that young officer at three o'clock in the morning who may be dealing with something that I'm unaware of uh, can be in their patrol car and immediately confidentially go to that application. There are self-assessment tools. There's videos for stress management. It geotags you on where there are vetted law enforcement, public safety therapists in the area that they can use through the city employee assistance program. That And by the way, command staff cannot look at that. I have no access to the app. I don't know who uses the app. So that was one way we tried to be creative and leverage technology. Is it okay to name the app? Yeah, it's the court. It's, yeah, absolutely. So if you go to our website, there's a video about it. There's a, there's a, there is a public face to the app. You can go to uh, just Google the DuPont Police Department, DuPont Washington uh, Police Department, and it's right there on our homepage. But the company we've partnered with is called the Cortico Company. Um, for your cop listeners for this podcast, Dr. Kevin Gill Martin is kind of the, the, was the trendsetter in police wellness. And he has partnered with Cortico. Gordon Graham, who's the big risk management um, guru in law enforcement, is also part of Cortico. Great company. And I don't know if they want me to say this or not, um, but for any police administrators out there who are considering doing this, one, they can contact me. I, I make no money off of it. I don't have a side hustle. I, I don't work for the company. We want to help cops. Um, but they they look at the size of your agency and they will work with you based on um, the size of your agency and what you can afford for your agency. So it's an excellent tool. 
Um, it's worked great for us. And by the way, it's like having a backup weapon for a law enforcement officer you or an off-duty weapon. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And that's yes. kind of, but that's not it. You know, we have a chaplaincy program here. We actually have a volunteer who is a prior Air Force uh, flight surgeon who is a, an MD uh, who now works for the federal government who volunteers his time to talk to our officers about wellness and fitness. And our motto here is, is wellness has to do with body, mind, spirit. And we want to make sure all three are, 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 are as intact as possible. Part of our employment contract is to make sure that if we have appropriate staffing, officers can work out in a 12-hour shift, can work out one hour a day to maintain their physical fitness. Because that's, that's a really good psychological fitness. So um, you asked, I'm sorry, you asked, you know, what can we do policy-wise? I think that policy-wise, more than policy-wise, is having a culture of core values that agencies truly live by. And that they recognize that our most important asset is not is not in the motor unit or the canine unit or the marine unit or the air unit. It's truly in our people. And if we can't keep our people healthy, and what's the old leadership mantra? People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So I think really that's instilling a culture where it, where there's an expectation that you're you're going to focus on the wellness of the people. And by the way, something as simple as just you know spending five minutes with someone in the hallway, saying good morning, seeing how their weekend is, can be the difference between you know them having a bad night where they're con you know, look, and we lose it, we 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 lose police officers to line of duty deaths anywhere from 52 to 56 hours. Every 52 to 56 hours we lose a cop. Depending on the statistics you look at, the numbers of suicide are just as high. They're not accurate because sometimes they're underreported because there's still a stigma with that. So just taking the time to show some kindness. And by the way, the, the police station should be the, sanct the sanctum, the, sanct the sanctum sanctorum, the, the protected area where cops should feel no stress. They should come here and be able to decompress. But Dave, you know, it's usually the other way around. You know, the command staff stresses them out, supervisors stress them out, they hate their coworkers, things start to deteriorate. And we and I think so the, the biggest answer is having a culture where you're constantly aware of that. And culture is not a destination, right? It's you're, you're constantly tweaking it um, and have strong leadership expectations that if you're going to, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk. And something as small as spending five minutes with someone to see how they're doing, how their kids are, how their families are. Um, could be the difference between them doing something very horribly tragic that night and giving it just one more day. And that's just, I have it. to, uh, ha I have to say all of the chiefs in my department, I never mentioned my department on the, on the air, but, uh, cause I'm not in an official capacity, but all of the chiefs in my department are extremely personable. And if you catch them on a one-to-one, -one, if they're not, you know, if they're not busy, they will have a conversation with you and they're extremely personable. We have really, really good chiefs of our department um that they're, they're like down to earth solid human beings that will actually talk with you and like you know man to man have a con i i just saw the chief of department in the grocery store and he stopped and talked to me for a couple of minutes <laughs> well and i know your department and i won't tell anybody right um but that said that speaks volumes based on where i know you're located and the size of your agency and if they can take the, if, if that chief can take the time to talk to you in the produce aisle of the grocery store, how do you think that chief's going to treat you in your worst night of your career when you've just been involved in an in-custody death? 
something horribly tragic. Um, so that credibility, and you, I think you just nailed it, we cannot build that credibility during a tragic moment. It has to be built over time. And what are cops trained to do, Dave? Cops are trained to smell out insincerity in people, and they can smell it out when it comes to their leadership as well. So, you know, your story speaks volumes about your agency and the culture. And by the way, police leadership has changed quite a bit. I think we are, you know, industry-wide, there are some great, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why education is pushed so much at a higher level, um, because there, you know, our industry when it comes to management and leadership has really changed. Servant leadership, you know, used to just be a buzzword, and now it's really something that that most jurisdictions are looking for in their public safety leaders. So, you know, your story really rings home to me. What kind of uh, police education do you have? Well, police education. Well, um, obviously I've graduated the academy. I was a, I was an Arizona peace officer. And then the state of Washington, if you're a lateral, they, they, the criminal justice training commission looks at whatever state academy you went to. And then if you meet certain requirements, you can go to what they call an equivalency academy. So I did that. As far as my, uh, I've worked, I've been fortunate. I've worked all kinds of assignments. I'm a patrol officer at heart, uh, but I've worked uh, narcotics, both local and federal task forces. So I've received task force training through the DEA there. Um, SWAT basic, I was a SWAT operator for a while. Um, how long, how long is a while? Well, I was on two different teams and you're gonna make me do the math, but probably total eh, anywhere between, well, I don't know, five and seven years. Wow, that's a long time. Uh, well, not long. And and the, the teams that I was assigned to weren't full-time teams, like some of the, the the larger agencies that we see that have full-time contingencies. But I mean, I, I loved it, um, particularly being a young, a young officer. Um, but as far as my my formal education, um, I have a bachelor's of science in uh, criminal justice administration. I have a master's of science in strategic leadership, and my concentration uh, for my graduate degree was on crisis leadership. Um, I'm, an, I'm a graduate of the FBI National Academy in Quantico, a, a graduate of uh, Northwestern University's uh, Police and Command Staff Force, Police Executive Research Forum's uh, Senior Management Institute for Policing, and I'm just now attending uh, Naval Postgraduates uh, School's uh, Executive Leadership Program in Monterey. So you're a student your entire life. You, you've been a student. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'll tell you, I was, I didn't go to college right after high school. I enlisted straight into the Marine Corps. And um, it wasn't until I was a commander that I finished my bachelor's degree because I worked for a mentor and I'll say his name. His name is Rod Covey. He's the former chief of the Arizona Highway Patrol. And then he was the chief of the Port of Seattle Police Department. And um, I became his internal affairs sergeant and he brought me and he said, hey, here's the deal. If you're going to work for me, you're going to finish your, your degree. And I really came from the school where you know, our generation was if we had someone on the squad, and this is in the 90s, you know, that had a that had a bachelor's degree where we, we would be like, what are you doing here? Why are you a cop? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. I worked for mentorship that really pushed me. And so we, you know, here in DuPont, we, we tell our officers we want to be an education based department. And um, I never thought I'd even have a bachelor's degree. And um, thank goodness I had someone who really pushed me hard for that. Um, because it opens doors, it does. It does um, give you some some skills that you need, particularly administrative skills that you need. It doesn't replace ethics. It doesn't re replace re replace character, but it it certainly. Um, I'm a strong believer in education, and uh, I, you know, I I can attest to how hard it is 
to receive your education if you haven't done it. And, you know, your first question was, what advice would I give people? Um, I've got two kids. I love them to death. One is a freshman in high school, and I talk to her all the time. And she's talked to me a little bit about law enforcement. And I'm like, hey, honey, that's fine, but you need to get your degree first. And I think that's the other piece of advice I'd give someone. Finish your education, because once you do it, and, you, you know, the funnest job in the world is being a patrol officer. And when you're new, you're going to be working nights and weekends and you're going to be so tired afterwards and you're going to be chasing those special assignments like narcotics, like SWAT, yes. like yes. motor, <laughs> like canine. And pretty soon you look around and you're like, hey, how did I become 35 years old? How did this happen? Right. And then in my case, how did I become 45? How did I become 50? So, um, yeah, while, you know, my educational background is, uh, you know, uh, adequate for a police administrator. It certainly didn't happen overnight. And it's because I had good mentorship to push me in that direction. I got two more questions. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, stick sticking on the education part. Uh, do you have a couple of favorite books that back there behind you? I see that bookshelf. Yeah, I do. I have a couple. You mean the ones without pictures? Uh, <laughs> you're very articulate. And you can express yourself very well. So I know that you read and you write a lot. I, I can just tell by the way you speak about policing. Um, so do you have two books that you'd recommend off of that shelf? Yeah. So one is Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, and here's here's what's great for your police officers and your firefighters. You don't have to read the whole book. Actually, the police executive research firm forum, excuse me, Perf, put out good to great for law enforcement. You can find it online. I think it's like 30 pages. I read that before I read good to great. Um, that is a great book. Um, I think it's one of the best leadership books out there. I didn't and, expect that. Oh, good to great. You didn't expect yeah. that? Yeah. I've heard the title. I didn't, I didn't expect you to say that one. No, it's a great book. And, and especially when he talks about the levels of leadership. Um, and then the last one, uh, believe it or not, is a book called the, the killer angels. And it is all about the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, you kind of have to be a history buff to get into it. Um, but there are so many incredible leadership lessons. Now, it's fictionalized history. Um, but it is about the, the Battle of Gettysburg from both perspectives. And um, there are so many interpersonal issues when it comes to leadership. One of my personal heroes is Joshua Chamberlain. He's the hero of Little I know the story. And so that book uh, was very, I read that as a young officer and I'm, I'm a military officer in the reserves um, after being enlisted for my first over 10 years. And uh, that book is, is one of the best leadership books I've ever read. If you look at it through a leadership aperture and not just an enjoyable book. So Killer Angels and Good to Great are probably the two books I would recommend. All right. So my last question for you, um, all the units you've been in you and all the years of service, you must have one crazy incident, crazy story, funny story that you think about or that you tell family members. Uh, can you share that with us? Uh, well, this is a family show, right? So I got to be careful with what I say. And No, it's mostly adults. So well, uh, it's funny because... Don't censor yourself. You're you're such a you're such a good guy. So for everyone who may be watching this, you prepared me for this. And most of my stories, I actually am not that guy. All my all my best stories are somebody else's. Okay. Tell you this. So um, I was even though I grew up in the desert, um, Southern Arizona is truly the Wild West. Um, 
And I okay. love, uh, I'm going to pause you there. I love the hole in the rock. The, uh, the whole Google, Google it. It's in Arizona. It, it's Arizona. a very, it's, it's a very <laughs> short, short walk. Okay. All right. The hole in the rock. I'll, hole I'll in the rock. Um, I hope it's something that I can, I can, I can, I Google that on a work computer, the hole in the uh, rock uh, on Google. Place. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, um, I was dispatched to uh, now, even though and still the wild west, but I was assigned to metropolitan areas and uh, I worked for, uh, I was dispatched to a livestock on the loose livestock on the loose and it was in a trailer park and I roll in, I call out on scene and I, I, I don't see the livestock, but I see like, you know, garden gnomes knocked over and fences and stuff. And it's a trailer park, but it's like a retirement trailer park. So it's kind of nice and dress right dress. And you can just see the trail of devastation that is there. People are standing outside in their robes and their hair and their curlers. And they're kind of looking at this marked police car, like, what are you going to do? And I'm thinking, what? I'm not, I'm not a cowboy. What am I going to do? Right, right. So I turn the corner and there's this enormous steer. I mean, horns and everything. And I, so I, I'm in my car and I hit my air horn and he turns around and he squares up with my car <laughs> and, and, and the neighborhood's watching me and I'm looking and so I'm embarrassed. So they're looking like, Hey, you're the cop, go do something. And I, so I, you know, and every cop who's watching this knows you, when you pick up the mic, you take a deep breath because you don't want to sound like an idiot, right? Yes. So I'm thinking about how I'm going to ask for help. Well, there was a guy in my unit who was a rodeo rider. And I'm getting on the air and I'm kind of fumbling around. Animal control is not going to come. I don't know if there's a rancher. I don't know what to do. And he comes out of nowhere, screaming out of nowhere in a crown vic, jumps out. He smacks this steer right on the rump. I guess it's the right term, right? And there's a couple more cows in the neighborhood. He he gets them all together and he gets back in his crown vic and he's like doing the whole rawhide thing. And he gets them and I walk up and he rolls down his window and he literally has the theme song to rawhide playing in his car. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a great story or not, but that is a great story. I think you see everything and I'm, and I look and I'm like livestock and what am I going to do with livestock? The, you know, this isn't something in the academy. And I was so embarrassed, but thank God I had a cowboy, a legit cowboy on my unit who saved the day because this city slicker wouldn't have known what to do. You touched on a key thing that I'd like to end with. Uh, when people call 911, it doesn't matter the scenario. They expect you to do something about it. Yeah. We're solution We're solution providers. They yeah. call 911 because they're looking for someone to help with a problem that they have. And it doesn't matter what the problem is. You know, if I can just get this in before we depart. So part of the of our orientation for new employees here is we I have a slide of a Swiss Army knife. And what we tell our new officers, whether they're laterals or entry levels, is that we need Swiss Army knives in our community. You've got a pocket, you know, you've got a corkscrew and you've got a leather punch and you've got a screwdriver. And that means I may need you to help a little girl put a chain back on her bicycle um, I responded to, to water pipes breaking because people didn't know who to call and there wasn't a plumber on call. I, I fixed think- a flat tire in August in a uh, 90 degree heat <laughs> vest, oh. vest, just, you know, clinging to the chest. And when that person, when that motorist who you changed the tire for 
sees something on the news, a 30-second snippet of a use of force, and they don't know the context behind it, before they engage in negative rhetoric in the comment section, they're going to remember that you changed that tire. And what I tell them is, look, we need, I need every tool in this pocket knife, but the main part of that pocket knife is that blade. And when I need you to go into that elementary school and be a gunfighter to save lives, make sure that blade is sharp. I need everything else in that pocket knife, but at the end of the day, you're a protector of this community. And it's, it's that balance. And you named it, you know, people call 911 when they don't know who else to call. And the worst thing we can do, and I think we've learned this as a profession, is that attitude of, well, it's not criminal, it's not a police matter. And it may not be a police matter, but you if you have time, do your best to be a community ambassador. You know, we get paid to serve the community. We don't get paid to be abused by the community. There, there are two big differences there. So I couldn't, Dave, you, you bring up a really great point. And yeah, I mean, I've changed more tires. I mean, I'm not standing up. I was six foot four in Arizona and all the heat shrunk me down to, you know, five foot eight. So believe me, I know what it's like to change a tire in 90 degree weather. Steve, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, I'll probably have you come on again in six months to a year and see what you're doing next. I would uh, love to. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, you know, I just want to thank you and for what you do. You've got a great message. And, you know, the opportunity for me to address brothers and sisters who do this job, we are so thankful for what they do. People care. And uh, I couldn't be more privileged to, to, to wear the same badge and wear the same uniform. So, Dave, I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. My brother, thank you so much. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.